0: Let's rock. Uh, this is speaking
1: educationally with uh, Doug and, and Gerard,
0: where I'm coming from. 15
1: years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this, equitable like, space? And, like, you know, what's best for those students um, that look like
2: me and that came from uh,
1: my community? I wanted to be an influencer. Goals, mindset goals.
0: All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.
1: Okay, so hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are in season three, episode four, and I think every single time that we record, I go, I can't believe that we have recorded this many episodes, right. but here we are. Um, so I'm here with um, Doug and Gerard, and we have a guest with us on this evening. Um, so uh, it is Dr. Amy Pleet odell um, Amy and I go back um, quite a, a long ways. Um, we've known each other for um, almost 13 years, and um, she worked with me when I was at a different school um, to help improve our special education inclusion um, setting. And so um, she is on with us tonight. So um, I know that if I try to introduce you, Amy, I'm not going to do it justice. So talk a little bit about yourself and and your experience in education.
2: (laughs) Uh, A little bit. Talk a little bit about uh, this is my (laughs) first year, so it's a little tricky to talk a little bit about it, but I'll try and and condense it. Um, I started as an English teacher in 1970. Uh, before there was a special ed law (laughs) and English and drama. And then when the special ed law passed, I became a special ed teacher and um, taught special ed middle school and high school and was a department chair and then became interested in what happened to the kids after they graduated. So I became a transition coordinator, linking them with higher ed services and linking them with adult services. And I went, wow, I should have done some different things when I had them in the classroom. <laughs> they are not ready to transition out. And then I became the transition specialist for the state of Maryland and got to work with some amazing people and school districts across the state and went from there to Towson University as the director of the special ed graduate program. So um, coordinated a whole new program there and worked with teacher candidates, and then left there and went to the University of Delaware, which is when I met Dina, and I was the inclusion consultant for the state of Delaware, and (coughs) retired from there in 2011, and now I have my own consulting business. How's that for short? (laughs) 51 years in short. (laughs) That was good. That was good. Uh, (laughs)
1: That was, and and, you know, that, that introduction that she just said does not uh, do her level of expertise any justice at all. But, um, you know, Amy has always been my go-to person for um, what, um, you know, any questions that I have in, in how to improve and grow and. Um, you know, what can I do? And and it's, it's for a variety of things. Um, you know, it, it, it goes beyond just special education. But, um, you know, I recently w- had participated in um, the special education mastermind group that Amy had started and, um, you know, was able to interact with several other educators who um, were from, you know, a variety of uh, places across the U.S. and I know that I grew a lot with that time and we still all kind of keep in touch with one another, which has been phenomenal. Um, hey,
0: can you just explain to the people that might be listening, what is a mastermind group? Like, what is, like, what did that consist of? Like either Amy or, or Dina, I'm just curious.
2: Um, Amy, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay. Well, it started when COVID hit. And for me, I thought we got of figure out what inclusion and special ed looks like when kids are sitting at home by themselves when you know how do we mm. how do we help their families how do we help them feel the sense of inclusion and belonging how do special ed's pr- pr- how do special ed teachers provide the support they need and i thought i got to figure this out and i thought there's no way <laughs> i could figure this out all by myself and so somebody dropped the word mastermind around me and i went yes i need Masterminds. I need people that want to tackle something that doesn't exist yet, and help me figure it out, and help us all figure it out in the process. So I did a uh, webinar inviting people to join, and some people who never heard of me heard the webinar and came, and then some other people I reached out to people like Dina that I thought, oh, she, I need her input into this, and then um, some other people um, if I heard them on a webinar or uh, presenting at a national conference virtually, I found their email address and emailed them and said, you should be part of my mastermind. Cause I thought I want people who think from all different perspectives to get together and just brainstorm. And so that's how the mastermind was born. We met once a week for six months. And um, that was just an awesome experience.
1: And it did not feel like six months, by the way. So I'll just I I'll know. say that. And I know I joined a little late, but um, it was um, it was one of the best uses of time. Um, and I, you know, ha- I, I feel like now we, you know, we kind of have established this almost family like, um, you know, atmosphere. And um, I have you know nine or ten people I could really communicate with at any point in time if I felt like I had questions or wanted you know some advice or even just to say you know hi, how are you. Um, so it was just an absolutely wonderful um, use of time. And I really felt like I grew a lot as a teacher and got a lot of perspectives. Um, there were so many different personalities there. Um, yeah. You know, it's like we had we had some people who were um, lawyers. We had, you know, some people who were just full on special education teachers. Um, we had some inclusion teachers. We had people like myself who, you know, are are not special education teachers per se, but I teach all kids. So, you know, I think that kind of makes you a ed- special education teacher by default. Um, so it was just a, it was a great time.
2: It was um, great. And we had a we, it's, there were, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, we also had some people, adults who had disabilities, who had some GI wish thoughts in there that were really mm-hmm. eye-opening. And we had people who were employment specialists. It, it was an amazing diverse group. Mm-hmm.
0: What's a what's a GI wish?
2: GI wish. When I was in school, I had teachers who. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got you. Okay. I, I love that. Yeah, I love <laughs> that one. <laughs> I was like, I never heard this term before. It's a scientific <laughs> term. A I'm lot using that one. Kind of like the. <laughs> I'm kinda using like that one. I should have, I should have yeah. group. That's yeah, funny. That is so funny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. There was a, yeah. So much, so much insight. And we had, um, we had a, a, a parent of, you know, some, some children who um, were special needs. So it was, it was just a phenomenal um, kind of time for it. And it gave me a lot of perspective and pause when it came to looking at you know, how things have taken place historically. And so that, that you know, and so I think from that lens a lot more now than I had previously, um, which has really informed how I approached a lot of what I did for this year. Um, huh. And so speaking speaking of which, it actually was a great segue. Um, so the other day, I, I was listening to another podcast, and it got me thinking about... Um, you know, my understanding or lack thereof about IDEA and how that kind of informed how we do things in the classroom now. And so um, one of my, you know, we'll, we'll get to that point, but I think that um, Doug had brought up a really good question in terms of, you know, what really is inclusion? And so, um, Amy, can you kind of help to define that, Like what, what is an inclusion when it's, and let me, I guess maybe when it's done, when it's done well, what is inclusion?
2: Okay. I probably should make a distinction between least restrictive environment and inclusion. The law talks about, IDEA talks about least restrictive environment. It says the team must decide to what extent the student has to be removed from the general ed setting. Notice that it's not how often they can have access to the general ed setting. It's how often they have to be removed from the general ed setting because we just can't provide what they need there. But there are kids that are sitting in a general ed setting with a special ed teacher or a paraprofessional Velcroed to their side, and they don't get to interact with other kids, Mm -hmm. and they don't get to interact with the curriculum, and they might, I remember sitting, uh, observing a classroom where there was the principal as we were walking in, said, this is our best inclusion class. We've got a student with a lot of significant disabilities. And she was sitting over in the back corner with a, vel- with a paraprofessional Velcro to her. Not literally, but, you know, you could almost see the bond there. And I walked by, the girl was doing the same practice sheet as every other student in the class, but the girl never looked up to see what the teacher was explaining in the front of the room. The other kids turned and worked in partners and did all kinds of pair share and they got to work you know, collaboratively. This girl only interacted with this paraprofessional. So she was in the least restrictive environment, but I would not call that inclusion. Inclusion is where they belong. They know they belong. The other kids know they belong. All the teachers or um, specialists that are in the room know they belong. The parents know they belong. Doesn't mean they have to do the work at the same level as everybody else, but it's that sense of belonging. And um, that became so clear to me in the mastermind as I heard different folks talk one of the people, Dina, do you remember when Heather did her presentation, and she her the title of her presentation? Dina had to
1: help me. What was the topic?
2: She said there is no I in inclusion, and um, hmm. she That's said good. included means somebody else said I can be there belonging is I just belong, it's who has the power? Does included mean I the teacher, I the mm-hmm. team leader, I the, you know, who gets to say I belong? I, you know, that I can be in this classroom, I can be in this this group of kids. Um, so there should, you know, where's the I of saying, yes, I belong and uh, I fit in and I can contribute. So there you go. You asked for a definition. Can I ask a follow-up? Sure.
0: Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question? So if I was a school leader and I was going to have inclusion classrooms in my building, what are some things as a school leader that I would want to, like, what would be my vision or my expectations for staff and maybe how they set up the classroom and or, just the mentality or the mindset around having students with special ed that are included into that classroom. I mean, are there certain things like, um, you know, obviously from your example, maybe don't put them in the back corner of the room and sit the pair right next to them. Like maybe right. tell the pair that they should be moving around the room or put them in the middle of the room. Like I don't know. Like what do you? Right. What would be a good setup logistically, okay. but also maybe just like mindset wise?
2: Uh, yes, I love that question. Um, and uh-huh. I love when school leaders ask me that question because they're actually thinking maybe the way we've always done it isn't the right way. And I love when people rethink the way we've always done because you know. And I imagine that you're if you're hanging around with Dina, then you love thinking maybe the way we've always done it isn't the right way. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, <that's laughs>
1: the truth.
2: Yeah. So, um, let's see. How can it be? succinct about this because I could go on for Like I could do a two hour thing and I know we don't have time for that. Um, So (laughs) sometimes people talk about an inclusion classroom and what they really mean is it's a class that's mostly specialized kids pulled over, you know, like these are kids that can't be in the regular classroom. So they're the inclusion classroom. Well, that's goofy because that's not what inclusion means. (laughs) But I hear that term being used in some places, you know, oh, I teach the inclusion classroom. Well, aren't, you know, isn't a typical classroom supposed to, every classroom supposed to be an inclusion classroom where every kid belongs, regardless of their race, their gender identity, their um, disability or ability status, their whether they're homeless, whether they're immigrant, like they all belong. So you know, uh-huh. that's what inclusion is. We all belong. So the federal guidance is that if 14 percent, I just picked that number, if 14 percent of the kids in your building have an IEP, then the typical classroom should have 14 percent kids with IEPs. Now, they're going to be, uh-huh. if, you know, if you have German three, you may not have 14 percent of them you know, in uh, having IEPs. So there, there could be some unbalanced but when they say okay at at this grade level i'm going to have these this one teacher is the inclusion teacher well that defeats the purpose of inclusion but that also means every teacher is responsible for teaching all kids okay interesting Mm. Hmm. is that an answer you like (laughs) (laughs) that yeah no it
0: was good i was just processing it okay
1: it's um yeah it, you know and and one of the things that Amy has heard her probably re- heard me say this repeatedly but it's it's a enormous pet peeve of mine when I hear a a teacher say something like you know well well my kids can't do that thing oh and, I hate, I hate that's, that. that that is probably the any phrase that I've, I've heard in education and we we've heard so many of them that's probably the thing that single handedly unnerves me. Um, But this um, kind of we we wanted to talk a little bit about IDEA as well and um, kind of get your feel for it since you've kind of you've been teaching long enough to see both the inception of IDEA and what we come to understand, how it's informed, um, you know, what special education means and what settings look like in schools. And so, and again, (laughs) I know this is asking for a lot, but can you give us like, you know, kind of an explanation around what IDEA is and kind of how that's, that's grown as you have um, been in this profession?
2: Sure. So I I should say I am not a special ed attorney. So this is not legal advice, blah, 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 you know, all those um... So when the first special law was passed in 1975, I had already been teaching for five, six years, and they said there are going to be kids with disabilities that'll be in our building next year, and they never were. They've not been in school. That was the intent of the first law that schools can't say you can't come we can't give you an education because your disability is so severe. And sometimes it was like just somebody who had attention deficit and they were too overactive. Well, we can't educate you. So, you know, you just stay home. And so 1975 said from the federal point of view, you can't do that anymore. And then every time the law is reauthorized, they add more regulations and now you can do this and now you have to do this. And now you have to add this in. Now you have to, make sure that um, you evaluate the student and nukes and quarterly reports to parents. And so the law has added more and more things onto it. The idea was to give the idea of idea um, was to give access (laughs) to kids with disabilities. So they would have access to an education, including if they needed a wheelchair ramp or, you know, they needed to have enlarged text, but all kinds of disabilities. So, as with a lot now, now here's where I'm going to veer off and give you my opinion. So I'm making full, this is not Mm -hmm. anything that's like, this is not where the federal government's coming from, or the states or anything. This is Amy speaking. I think that because of all of the regulations and schools so worried that They now can be sued because if they don't provide it just this way, families could sue and everything. They're so careful to make sure everything is provided and they have forgotten the humanity of the situation. Mm. I think that regardless of the student's disability, that's a human being. That is a human being, just like every one of the other kiddos that walk into that or roll into that building every day. Or if they're if they're still doing hybrid or online, but they they belong like everyone else and every single one of the students that come into a, a building have strengths and talents and amazing abilities and they have challenges that they have to work through and. Because it in the beginning there were only like I think there were seven disabilities recognized in the beginning and then they added more and they added more and they added more till now there are thirteen disability categories and so we have to go through these hoops. Gee, which and you've probably sat at IEP meetings where they go, Well, what disability category does this student fit? Well, it's sort of this, it's sort of this. Maybe we should call it that. And will the parents be uncomfortable we call it this? Maybe we should call it that instead. But we have to put because of the law, we have to put a label on it. The label is helpful because now we have some ideas and some approaches for how to go about it. But when we start thinking of that label like we've now put this child in a box and we think we know that child. That child has an auditory processing learning disability and therefore if the teacher is standing up and doing the walk walk wonk, wonk lecture in the front of the room, that child won't get it. Well, Maybe the child shouldn't be in that teacher's room. No. Remember the humanity? What, what do we need to do so that, that child has access to an education like we used to do before there was a special ed law? You know, I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of saying this kid doesn't learn in my classroom. I want to move him to a different room. When I was an English teacher, everybody that was in my room, I taught. And I, sometimes I would spend the weekend thinking, "How am I going to reach that kid?" Because nobody told me that he might have a label that says he might not learn like everybody else. So, um, so there's some disadvantages to having that label. And when you get students that they're um, 14, 16, 18, they're getting ready to graduate, they're getting ready to transition, and I've walked with them into an employer's interview where they're, they're, they want to get a job, and they've asked me if I would come along on the interview, and then the employer says, um, is there any reason you can't perform this job? And the, and the kid says to him, well, you know, I'm lazy and I'm stupid, and they put me in that special ed class. Like, no, no. Um, what, what have we done? Like, why? Where did the child have this? How did this young adult now have this opinion of himself? Why aren't we fostering the strengths and the belief in, your? And yes, you can learn, and having an ungraded situation where they can submit as many times as they want and they're not penalized and they learn from going through the um, revisions? Like, why do we have to say you know, there's a label? So I have this dream that one day there won't be a special ed law, that every student will get what they need without having a label. But again, that's just that's just Amy's dream and perspective. And I don't know if I'm going to still be working when that happens. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm. Well, so, and I think it's a good, yeah. and I just wanted to make this point really quickly until, um, until I had met Amy and started working with Amy, I had no idea that you could get IEPs for gifted students. Did not know this. No, yeah. no uh, that and depends
2: so it depends on the state. It depends on the state. Mm-hmm. It's not in the federal law. Okay.
1: It's a, but the the fact that this is even this is even a possibility out there someplace is you know yes. it just kind of it shows my my lack of understanding and you know and I'm I, I went through four years of college and you know graduated and worked on a master's and you're, you know working with you is the first time I'd ever heard that.
2: Some states call it, instead of the special ed director or the special ed, whatever the officer name behind it is, uh, they call it the Office of Exceptional Children. And they do children who have disabilities and children who have other exceptionalities, including giftedness. But not every state does that.
0: Some of the things that I've seen, and I'm just curious about your thoughts on this. Some of the things that I've seen, so an IEP might say something like... um, and I'm just pulling this out of thin air. Um, The student should receive 15 minutes of extra reading practice a day with a specific instructor. So we'll literally give them 15 minutes of extra reading practice a day with a special instructor, although they may or may not need more or less, but because of the way that the IEP is written, that's what's stated. So therefore that's what they get and that's all they get. Um, And I wonder to your point and what your opinion might be about if we, like over label or over, you know, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, but just over um, just we're too structured in the way in which that we assign IEPs to kids. Does that not take away from the ability of the teacher to say, well, maybe today they need 25 minutes because they were really grooving it. You know what I mean? Like they were just into that instruction. So today I'm going to push them an extra 10 minutes where you know, again, I'm just pulling to a thin, thin air, a teacher might say, well, 15 minutes, 15 minutes and we're done. Like, let's move on to something else or move out with something else. And I wonder if that's kind of what you were thinking about, you know, if they got rid of IDEA, could it, could it take some of those handcuffs off teachers and say, you know, just go back to what is good instruction? Is that kind of well, what you're thinking? Is,
2: um, I have a problem with an IEP that says what the student needs is 15 minutes of instruction because it's, okay. that, is, that was <laughs> what I was thinking as well. <laughs> so, it's, it's not just about time. Um, so I don't know if you know that in 2017, the Supreme Court made a ruling on a, a special ed case. And it's the first ruling that in quite a while. And it has, is really shaking things up. And I'm very excited about the direction it's taking. It's called the Andrew F. versus Douglas County um, case. And um, as I said, 2017, Lawsuits are starting to hit and, you know, if if they haven't hit your school yet, they will be. The, the Supreme Court was asked, basically what they were looking at was what does special ed services mean and what is adequate progress for a child with disabilities? Is it enough that you just give them 15 minutes a day or just give them X service? Is that special ed service? Is that enough? Um, or does there have to be something else? And the Supreme Court used the phrase that the IEP must be, quote, reasonably calculated to enable that child to make progress. Um, and that progress is determined individually. It's, you know, it's an individualized IEP. So it's not like the kid needs to make one year of progress. Maybe some kid, if you give him the right um strategy the right intervention, he's going to make three years of progress this year in that particular mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it happens. so what it the team should say what we'd like to see is for this child to make this much progress this year on this goal. and the way we're going to measure it is this. The other thing that the Supreme Court decision made was that parents must be a partner in designing the goals and in measuring progress. So the team has to not just say, here are the goals, please sign, but they have to document that they have asked the parents for their input, what is it that you most are concerned about, parents? And, you know, how can we ha- what will it look like if we really have the kind of impact we want? So I can give you an example. I'm, I'm, two of my children both had IEPs. And so I got to sit at the IEP table as a parent. And I remember the an IEP meeting for my son, who was on the autism spectrum. And he was in the um, seventh grade, he was reading at the 12th grade level. And they had an IEP goal for reading. And I you know, I looked at him. I, I was already a transition specialist. I'd gone through all these, you know, the jobs that I told you about. So I was fairly knowledgeable. I was working on my doctorate. And um, I looked at him and I said, why does he have a goal for reading? And they said, well, everybody has a goal for reading. <laughs> and I went, but he's reading on the 12th grade level. Mm, mm, mm. And, and seriously. And I, mm. I, said, I said, there's no goal for social emotional, which is a big issue for him. And they said, well, we don't know how to write that kind of a goal. Now, this is a long time ago. Hopefully, nobody would be saying that today. But um, David Bateman, who do, who is works with um, the Council for Exceptional Children, he's the person who speaks about the ramifications of the Andrew F. Supreme Court decision. I listen to him at every national conference that I can get to where he's there. He says that we should be working with the family to de- to discover that student's driving need. What is the driving need for that student this year? If we could make progress in that area, so much else would change. This child has attention deficit and can't focus, can't focus, can't focus. Yes, we need to improve reading. But what if we could work on focus? And how would we measure it? And what kind of interventions Mm -hmm. would we use? So there are high leverage practices that are published on a website um, that the federal government is funding that you can go and look up what are the high leverage practices that are recommended for that particular type of need. So what is this child's driving need? What is the high leverage practice we're going to use? And then what, where do we want to see? What's the targeted outcome that if we're successful, that child will, get, will be achieving at that level? then we know we've made it. And we, we want to talk to the parents every step of the way, make sure those quarterly reports that go home to the parents are ones that parents understand and can have input. And look how look at this graph, look how the child's improving or not improving, and what can we do instead? So that's what I'd like to see. But do we have to have a label? Can we do that for, you know, any kid that's struggling? And I think kids are going to come out of this covid year a lot of kids are going to be struggling we're not going to stick labels on all of them we're going to have to help them with whatever it is they've been dealing with that's a long soapbox i'm sorry but there you go you asked the question (laughs) no
0: no, i'm glad you went i'm glad you went there because i'm sitting here gleaning because you're speaking my language (laughs) yeah I wonder too, like for, for me, I always, I don't remember where I heard this. It was a while ago. And one of the thing was one of the major, like uh, stepping stones or, or hurdles or speed bumps, whatever you want to call it, of kids and learning is confidence and self-confidence and their ability to learn. Um, So I think of what, some of what you're talking about would enable a child to build up that self-confidence. Um, So that they have, I know me, you know, we, we joked before the show about me having ADHD, but I also was a little bit of a struggling reader when I first started to read. And it was just confidence. It was me having to be able to sit in a chair and read. It was part of it. But then after I able to sit in a chair and read for a few minutes that it just became a thing about confidence. You know, I didn't have a cognitive disability. I just didn't have the confidence that I could get it done. Um, And once you gain that confidence, you know, I took off and I'm, I'm I'm an avid reader now, but I wonder to what point, you know, to, to that specific need or what that focus need, I think you said, or that driving need, I think is what you said. You know, could that also look at confidence and, and you know, mot- not necessarily motivation, because that's different than confidence. But if you have confidence, you, your motivation will increase. I don't know. Anyway, you had me going down that rabbit hole in my head as you were yeah. talking. So thank you for I that. I love
2: what you're saying. I would use a different word, Doug. Um, okay. Confidence. When people think of confidence, then they think I'm going to be the cheerleader and I'm going to tell kids, yeah, you can, yeah, you can, you can, yeah, you can. But a lot of these kids have a very loud voice inside their head that goes, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. And you can't speak louder than that internal voice. So instead of mm-hmm. the word okay. confidence, I would like to use the word self-efficacy. And self-efficacy means I tried something that was challenging to me that I thought I couldn't do. And look at that. I did it. Now I have evidence that yes, I can. And now that I've tried one thing and I find out I can, then I'm going to have a little more confidence, but it's built on self-efficacy, not built on somebody boosting me up. If you, if Mm -hmm. you understand the distinction that I'm making. So a lot of times teachers don't realize the importance of having the kid self um, acknowledge that they've look what you just you said you couldn't do. Look what you just did. What did you just do there? Look mm-hmm. at how you wrote that essay. Look at how you solved that complex equation. Look at how you you did read that whole chapter, didn't you? You know, so, and have the student not as an external acknowledgement, but of an internal acknowledgement, yes, I can.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I'm, I'm writing this down as you speak. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, um, yeah. it, there was something that you had, you had said a little earlier, Amy, and it, it got me thinking about, um, you know we one of the things that we come back to frequently with the show is um, the whole idea of, <clears throat> of checkboxing. Um, you know, and it's like, oh, well, we, we're going to do this thing so that we could say that we did this thing. And then we're just going to move on to something else. And what I see when you were speaking earlier about the, um, when Doug had given the example of, you know, 15 minutes and, um, you know, you and I both kind of had the same thought we're like, well, why are they giving just 15 minutes of instruction? Like, is it tied to anything specific? Like why the 15 minutes? (laughs) Like I had all these questions in my head, but it's like, one of the things that I, I thought about was. Oftentimes, the accommodations become a box we check. Um, <laughs> it's you know, it's like, oh well, they've got X, Y, and Z listed on their IEP. Therefore, we have to we have to do these things. And I had said to somebody, you know, it's. I said, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I said I I look at the kids' IEPs, but you know, my rationale is that if I'm just giving them what they need in order to, to be successful in my classroom in whichever way success can be defined, you know, because not every kid is at the same place. And, you know, me thinking that all the kids are going to be at the same place is kind of, I mean, it's, it's the definition of insanity almost. Um, <laughs> not everybody will be in the same place. And that really is okay. Um, Because learning is not linear, and it's not this clean process. It's oftentimes very messy, and you sometimes go backward to move forward. And, you know, it's just it, it is what it is. And so as the teacher, I just need to accept that my students are where they are, and there will be growth taking place. And however that looks, but it is oftentimes a want and a desire to just have something that you can check off and go, Oh, look, you know, we did the thing. And, it ends up becoming very harmful to kids. And to give a, a really close related example, um, I had said to my students, you know, I, I said, "I we need to get some notes collected around what the characters say and do so we could start making the connection between characterization and conflict and theme. You know, we need to kind of roll these together. And so what a chunk of the students heard was, I just need to get the task done because, because task completion has always been what's been rewarded. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. I will stay off your back if you get this done. Um, if you get this done, you are going to have this thing available to you. And so what they heard was, let me get it done to get people off my back. Mm. And so I got exactly what I should have gotten based on what these kids' experiences were. And I have a few kids who went, okay, I know she wants me to go in and look for this, and I need to come up with really good, solid examples. Um, and th- th- those were kids who were who are kids on an IEP and kids off an IEP. So it was there was a variety of it. But I kept getting a variety of the same kind of example, because basically what the kids were doing was they go, I have to get it done, so let me see what everybody else did. And let me just get this done so I can say it's done. Um, and I thought to myself, I mean, that's, that's oftentimes what kids are going to do, but I see teachers do it all the time as well.
0: Yeah. And if you get it done, don't you get extra recess? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, you, it, it's right now what it is this time of year done so for, for those of us who teach high school this time of year what it is is they just are going to leave me alone that's mm-hmm. funny. all I want to do is finish school right now Like they're just going to leave me alone and so that, that to them is their reward for right now that's yeah. true
2: you uh, know Dina as you're saying that I listen to you and I the question that keeps coming up for me is who's responsible for that child's education who's responsible for that child's learning right is is the teacher responsible for giving you check boxes and you do the check boxes and then you know the teachers off your back or am i responsible for my own learning and the teacher is a guide mm-hmm. and And if I'm interested in learning, going deeper into some aspect of it, or I want to tweak it a certain way, like, you know, you know, when when a student is on fire to learn something, you can't stop them. Uh And if we can set up more learning situations where the students are the ones responsible. I love the phrase that's being used by Universal Design for Learning, expert learner how do we help every student become an expert learner? Which means, I mean, it's pretty complex, but to simplify it, an expert learner is somebody who knows how to attack a problem and they know what their strengths are, where they can get support if they need it. They ask for it if they need help. And, um, and they, they know how to estimate the amount of time it's gonna take, how complex this task is, how to set priorities. These are tasks we're talking about. This is 21st century skills that we want students to have when they graduate. Well, they're not magically going to get them when they walk across the graduation stage. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to start fostering them at a young age as the executive skills start developing around age eight. Then let's teach them time management. Let's teach them um, prioritizing and then by the time they get to the assignment you're talking about where the teacher says i want to you know we want to figure out some things about characterization ah they already this is an interesting learning task not you know not check boxes right. i i love the way you're thinking about that <coughs>
1: hmm. well i i learned that from somewhere i mean i don't know who gave me that idea but <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> wink wink wink
1: wink <laughs> nudge nudge um, but yeah it's it, it's just been it's it, it's been an interesting um experience because i like you know i i have so much more perspective kind of you know wrapped in this now because of these great experiences that i had that you know where amy kind of led the ch- the charge on that um and so i guess you know kind of i guess my my big question moving forward is and, and, and Amy, I'm sure you get questions like this all the time, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you it, like, you know, if, if I go into the classroom tomorrow and I am looking to change like something of my practice, what would be something that I could do that would make my classroom more
2: inclusive?
0: Hmm, that's a great question.
2: <laughs> wow. I have three years of, um, schools sign up for my packages and they take three years to do. <laughs> 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 material. To, and you're asking me in a one sentence answer. <laughs>
1: loaded, loaded question, loaded question. I know.
2: Okay. So, so here it is in one, in one sentence. If a student isn't learning the way you're teaching, is it the kid's fault or Is there something you can do differently in the way you teach?
0: So it's constantly redefining yourself.
2: Um, I don't know if it's redefining yourself, but you—if you look and you say, "Okay, here's here's this kiddo over here who's really struggling." Mm -hmm. and it's easy to blame the kid he's he's lazy he doesn't he's not and after all his parents and you know he comes from that neighborhood and he had this experience during covid and he's like we have lots of experience some all these excuses let us off the hook and then and then the story's done he's he's you know case closed he's you know okay we'll go through the motions we don't want anybody to know that we've given up on him but it's not my problem it's you know it I've explained it by there's something about him, some descriptor of him that's the reason he's not learning. And instead, if you get curious about that student and say, and so don't start, if you have, if you're teaching at the middle school and you have 120 kids, don't do this for 120 kids tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, pick pick one that's a puzzle. Like, what is it? What is it about the way that student learns? Just observe how they interact with the kids, how they interact with learning activities. You know, know, what happens when you give them a chance to work on their own or when you have them all pulled together? Just like keep an eye on that kid and then befriend him in a way. And I'm using him. It could be either male, female, whatever, whichever pronouns you want to use. But um, figure out... What how do you find out what's the gold in that student? There's some there's some shiny gold part of that student that you haven't figured out yet. And you can let that let the light shine on it and let that student shine in some way. And, um, you know, sometimes when the student just knows you see him and you haven't given up on him, that changes things right there. And sometimes you can figure something out that you could just tweak a little bit differently. When you're introducing the new topic tomorrow, you could do it just a little bit differently. Maybe you're gonna have eye contact with him as you're starting to do it or, you know, or sit him next to a different student or something. So there, but if you, if you don't close the door and say, I understand why that kid isn't learning, it's his fault. If you keep the door open and go, not it's my fault. I'm not interested in blame, but there's something I haven't figured out yet. It's a puzzle to be solved. I call these the riddle students. <laughs> I love it. That's,
0: and that's actually, that's really tangible advice that you can take tomorrow and try. I mean, because I have, imagine if you really take that advice and, and apply it tomorrow to your lessons or your classroom, you could then, you know, expand on that to another kid. So I kind of figured out this one riddle kid. Then we found another
2: riddle kid and so forth and so on. So. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great.
2: And then we're really individualizing.
0: Yeah. I got nothing else, Dina. I don't know about you and Gerard. No, I'm I'm just going to tell
2: you about my new course that I launched today. Yes, please do. Absolutely. I am so excited about this. This came out of the mastermind group. Actually, I thought, okay, I've learned so much and I see how many teachers are struggling and I see how many teachers are leaving the profession. People who love teaching are leaving, and I'm like, I got I to gotta do something to keep them here. So I started um, back in February designing a course I'm calling Joyful Inclusion, and it's a, it has eight modules, and I recruited a group of people to be my live audience so I could record in front of a live, live audience because it's really hard to record in front of a camera. It's <laughs> just uh. not Joyful And um, it is full of tips about rekindling your heart as a teacher so that you love teaching again and making connections with kids and teaching kids to make connections with each other to build a joyful community in the classroom. And then how you can weave that through instruction, whether it's synchronous where Either online world together or in person world together or asynchronous where the kids are working in committees or on their own or you know in groups Um, and then ways to link with families and, and then celebrations. So I launched it this morning. I am so excited. I actually have Joyful Inclusion t-shirts that people can order. (laughs) I'm I'm going full speed ahead because most of my, all of my other packages are for whole schools and the whole faculty. And it came out of the work I did, um, Dina, with your school before and also Jared with the school where you worked, Uh, all of that is in the packages that I have, but I have teachers that say my school doesn't have this as a priority for the whole faculty and I want to get better at it and I really am struggling. So I'm really excited about this new course.
1: That's
2: awesome.
1: It sounds outstanding. All right. Well, um Amy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I guess that there's um no other questions, um Doug and Gerard, are you good?
2: I'm good.
0: I'm good. Thank All right. you so much. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard, where I'm coming from.
1: 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this, like, space in my, you know, what... best for those students that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to... Be an influencer for hell, light, 4 young people. Connect with more people who's mindset. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.